Life might be easier if you were just investing in stocks, but you're not. So if you're going to invest in companies that aren't public and aren't massive, I think companies that are driven by, you know, a missionary, by somebody who's evangelical about what they're trying to pull off, do better. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Our guest this week, Matt Higgins, who is the CEO and co-founder of RSE Ventures. He's also the vice chair of the NFL's Miami Dolphins. He's a shark on one of my favorite TV shows, ABC's hit TV show, Shark Tank. Looking forward to catching up with Matt Higgins on our show this week. I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, uh, a busy week in the sports world. The two biggest headlines of the week. Number one, Urban Meyer announced that he's retiring as coach at Ohio State, effective at the end of the Rose Bowl. A lot of people think he should have retired earlier in the season when the domestic violence happenings uh, arose at Ohio State. He was under a lot of pressure. He was suspended. I don't know. I, I think it's a sad ending for Urban Meyer. Most people will remember him not as a historically winning football coach, but is someone who didn't do the right thing when someone came to him with domestic violence uh, charges at, at Ohio State. Yeah, it's like we've talked about before. These guys leave this legacy, and this is what, like Patino and all these other guys, this is what they're remembered for, is they're out. You know, the, the mistake they made and how they handled it incorrectly, and, you know, he's never going to be remember, remembered as a great coach. It's going to be how he ended his career. Now, the other thing I'll say is I'm not convinced that he's actually retiring. Yeah, I'm not convinced that he doesn't just want out at Ohio State. He takes a year off and then resurfaces at some point, just like he did when he left Florida. And then, oh, I'm feeling better. My health problems are over, and now I'm the coach at Ohio State. So we'll see what happens with this guy. He doesn't seem to be the type of guy who can just walk away. Right. But uh, he's announcing his retirement effective at the end of the Rose Bowl. The other story, Kareem Hunt, star running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, a video arose of a February incident in a hotel with a woman where he struck a woman. And this has all kinds of layers to it. But, Griggs, the question I ask repeatedly, two questions. Number one, how does TMZ get their hands on these videos before the NFL? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, people are probably going to go, well, Burger, they pay big money for it. If you're the NFL or the Kansas City Chiefs, wouldn't you pay big money for this video so it doesn't wind up on TMZ or see the light of day? I just don't understand how the Ray Rice videos and all these other videos that we see with NFL players and other leagues wind up in the hands of TMZ before they wind up in the hands of the NFL. So this happened in February. The video just comes out now. And much like the Ray Rice video, when you see the video, it means a lot more to you than just hearing about the allegations and it's a he said, she said. When you see video of Ray Rice striking his fiance and you see Kareem Hunt hitting this woman, there's really no he said, she said. It, right. it is what it is. The video tells the story. It's appalling. And the thing is, is that we find out that the NFL 
uh, didn't really interview Kareem Hunt. They didn't interview the woman. They trusted the investigation that the Kansas City Chiefs did. I don't agree with that. I know people at the Chiefs. I think they're a great organization. I'm sure they had limited access to certain things because they don't have subpoena power, right? But if you're the NFL and you put criminal investigators and people like that in place after the Ray Rice incident, how do you mess this one up? You supposedly put all these protocols in place after the Ray Rice incident so that something like that wouldn't happen again. Well, here we see it with Kareem Hunt, who was subsequently uh, waived, and then no one picked him up. He's on the commissioner's exempt list. I think he's done. Just like Ray Rice hasn't gotten another chance, I think Kareem Hunt, even though he's only 23 years old, probably done and, uh, you know, it's just another black eye for the NFL. Well, it's, again, NFL being reactive rather than proactive. It's like they kind of bury it away, and here of a sudden, all of a sudden, here's a video. You know, and it's like, just like with Ray Rice, it's like, here we go again, coming back to haunt you and caught red-handed. There you go. Well, and, and again, the two breakdowns to be one, if you're the NFL, you've got to figure out a way to get your hands on these videos before TMZ. Two... If you have protocol in place at the league office to investigate these types of happenings, as soon as you hear about this in February, you don't just trust the Kansas City Chiefs investigation. You launch your own investigation and you handle things from the league perspective as well to try and avoid something like this happening again. All right, coming up next, Matt Higgins. He's a shark on ABC's Shark Tank. He's the CEO and co-founder of RSE Ventures. We met him in our roadshow trip. With Tom Garfinkel in Miami, we had some of his and pizza. It was really good. Yep. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. My guest is Matt Higgins. He is the CEO and co-founder of RSE Ventures. He's a vice chair for the NFL's Miami Dolphins. He's a shark on ABC's hit TV show Shark Tank. You can find him on Twitter at M Higgins. I had the pleasure of meeting Matt last month in Miami. Matt, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm technically I'm an amalgam of a shark and a dolphin, which is a whole <laughs> creature unto itself, just to be precise. Yeah, what would you call that? Uh, a shalfin or a, a, a dark? I, I, I guess, you know, peaceful and necessary, uh, aggressive as need be, very thoughtful. <laughs> but I do But I do bite back. Well, you have such an interesting background, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I got to tell you, uh, we did the tailgate event with you at Dolphin Stadium, Hard Rock Stadium, and uh, your and pizza is really good. How did you get involved in that? 
Oh, thank you, by the way. Um, uh, and pizza. We're, we're, we're doing a lot of work in the fast casual space uh, and looking for great concepts that we think can scale nationally, um, but also looking for concepts that we think would work in stadiums and sports venues because we have an advantage there. And, and pizza was right in our sweet spot. The food's great. The brand has a social mission that resonates, uh, not just with us, but people everywhere, paying a living wage. And, and, uh, and, we, and the food's fantastic, and the CEO is great. So uh, it's one of my favorite investments. That's great. Uh, before we discuss RSE Ventures and Shark Tank, you have such an interesting background, and I want our audience who may not know about it to hear a little bit about it. You worked for the city of New York during 9-11. You were the youngest press secretary in New York City history, working for Rudy Giuliani. Matt, such uh, a sobering time in our country's history. You were young. You were thrown right into these this crisis. What did that experience teach you? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, probably the single greatest lesson I learned from the mayor at that time was that in a crisis, the most important thing is to show up, right? That there's something very psychologically important to telegraph that you are facing the situation, that you're on the ground, that you're doing what is necessary. And, uh, no matter what the situation is, particularly on September 11th, that was his approach to, to a crisis. And I learned a lot navigating, um, the city through that really, really painful, difficult time through those you know, 100 days. Uh, I was there when President Bush, for example, on that Thursday after the attacks, he came to the site and he um, climbed up on top of a pile and he was able to basically tell all the firefighters and recovery workers you know, on the site that, you know, I'm hearing you and soon the terrorists who did this will hear us too. And it just sent such an important powerful message around the world. So showing up in a crisis is uh, half the battle. Yeah. And I've been to New York many times since then. And, uh, you know, you were also on the the task force, the committee that rebuilt the World Trade Center site. And, you know, as far as I see now, you guys did such a great job with all of that. So that I'm sure was another big moment in your career. You were there for all of the 9-11 aftermath, but then you get to help rebuild such a, an important part of the city. Yeah, I was there at the site on the morning of the attacks within a few minutes of the first plane striking the tower, and I essentially didn't leave for two years. I just felt that it was so important um, at that time to just stay put and do whatever I could to help the city rebuild. I actually moved um, to the site, uh, Chamber Street, a couple blocks away. And I worked around the clock to help on the rebuilding effort, which, frankly, is nothing compared to the firefighters and police officers who were at the site day and night during the recovery effort. But me personally, I felt it was important to stay put, at least during those couple of early critical years where we were trying to figure out what to do with the site, how to bring everybody together and create a common vision. Um, So it was a really incredible time in my life. A lot of it is a blur, frankly, because... It was just so emotionally draining and and, um, and just so complicated. But I'm proud of the work that we did there in those two years. Yeah, I mean, that's an intense few years there. It, that's two years that probably seem more like five years. Well, it's one of the reasons why, frankly, I turned to sports afterwards. I just had felt so emotionally drained to be... First of all, being press secretary to the mayor of New York is not like a hobby either. That right. Yeah. a complicated job while going to law school at night. Uh, but then after September 11th, it was just on a whole nother, another level. I was, I probably brought every prime minister and president you could think of 
down to the site to build support for the country and for the you know international war against terror. Uh, and then, of course, the rebuilding effort was really contentious and complicated. And I, after after several years working for the city, I felt it's time to take a break, go from the front page to the back back page, which, by the way, is not also a walk in the park either. <laughs> but uh, but it was a, it was a respite, to be honest. Yeah, I bet. So you co-founded the investment firm RSE Ventures with. Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross. I've met Stephen. I've interviewed him at my event, the Sports PR Summit in New York. Think the world of him. Obviously, I just had Tom Garfinkel on. That's why I was in Miami. He's a super talented person as well. But tell our listeners what RSE does and how did you meet Stephen Ross? Uh, well, I used to be at the New York Jets uh, for uh, eight years. Held, hold, uh, every, held every kind of job you could think of and ultimately ran the business of the team. And you realize in sports, uh, you have the ability to reach millions of people who are very passionate about the team. Uh, and, and really, sports teams should be the first ones that are experimenting with innovation and technology. And they tend to be the last. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, there's a lot of re- resistance to change at the highest level. And I always felt that that was a shame and a wasted opportunity. Uh, sports teams tend to be the last ones to experiment with Twitter and, and Instagram and so forth rather than the first. And that is changing, by the way. But, but 10 years ago, it wasn't the case. And I felt like it was a wasted opportunity to incubate technology and to uh, really experiment in the stadium setting with the team. And uh, that's how I came across Stephen Ross. He is one of the most dynamic entrepreneurs really in the world, um, below the radar, He's known as a real estate developer and is the owner of the team. But um, truth be told, taking a step back, he's a he's an entrepreneur and a risk taker who always changes things up. And we had a shared vision about how we could um, uh, build uh, around the team innovation and technology and, and, and try to, at the same time, enhance the fan experience, really build an ecosystem. And that's, we, uh, that's how we partnered up. So we'll get to Shark Tank in a minute, but you have people that pitch you all the time on, hey, invest in my company. You, I'm guessing you don't have quite the same uh, wallet that Stephen Ross has. So when you go to Stephen and say, look. None of us do. None of us Exactly, right. So (laughs) when you go to Stephen Ross and you like say, hey, let's start RSE Ventures. Let's make this a company. Let's partner up. What's your pitch to him? Is it what you just outlined to me? How did you get him to be your co-founder in RSE Ventures? Well, it really wasn't much of a pitch, to be honest. It was a meeting of the mind. And despite the fact that Steve is obviously wealthy, that's not what defines him. What defines him is the desire to build. He's a, he's a creator and mm-hmm. not, limited, not limited to real estate or only massive ideas financially. He's a, he's a game changer, not to use cliches. But so uh, if something is disruptive and, and it needs some type of support to come into existence, he's interested. And, and uh, so it's not really, we don't judge it by the amount of money that's invested or even sometimes the magnitude of the opportunity financially. It's, is it making a big uh, impact? Should it exist? You know, is it transformational? That's what gets Steve excited. And um, that's, that's the pitch. Although the PowerPoint deck you look at six years ago that has, does not resemble what has been created, which is always the case. The dirty little secret of business is that the business plan never manifests, right? Yeah. But that was the, gen- that was the general idea. So what are some of the sports businesses that RC Ventures has invested in? Well, I'm very selective in sports, even though that's where we started. We were in sports and entertainment, media and marketing, 
uh, lifestyle, which is food and hospitality and technology. So in the sports space, probably the biz- biggest business is an epiphany we had six years ago that um, soccer is finally at its tipping point. It's been declared many times before, but it actually has reached a tipping point. And that um, Americans are thirsting to be exposed to the best teams in the world. Soccer is truly global, right? And uh, we thought in the summer, there's a two-week window where teams completely control their own destiny. They're not being told by FIFA or UEFA or anyone else where to go. They get to decide. And that if we could take all the best teams in the world and organize a tournament during those two weeks, we could bring the best level of competition to the United States. So we created the uh, International Champions Cup, which includes Real Madrid, Barcelona, all the top teams. And we bring them uh, across the world, actually, to the U.S., to China, to Europe, to uh, Singapore. We put on 25 to 30 matches and broadcast that to 100 million people. That's probably our biggest, our biggest, uh, our biggest property. But um, specifically, I look for emerging sports or emerging opportunities where we can own a significant stake in the sport and help uh, make a big difference. And on the technology side, uh, and incubating a sport drone racing league is probably our most high-profile investment that we've made. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you're the one thing about people like yourself and Steven is you you see the trends and you have the vision to see things before other people see them. That's what I've uh, observed from afar. Well, thank you. You don't always see the misses. So <laughs> I'm only talking to you about the about the wins. But with, you know, which, well, like, let's use drone racing for example. What I, what I think we are good at is knowing what traction looks like. You don't need the wisdom of the crowds to validate your opinion when you see something that others might not see. So I don't feel like we needed everyone to have a, have you know endorsed drone racing to recognize that it it could be a support a sport during those early days. What the traction I did see was that around the world in garages and in parks, like there were these Star Wars-type sequences playing out where hobbyists would race their drones. And when you take a step back and look at that collectively, it had all the makings of a sport. It's highly competitive. It requires skill. It could make for great TV product. People are interested in seeing it. You could see sponsors wanting to get involved. And so rather than wait for, um, for that to be conventional wisdom, you have to be willing and confident enough to take a shot. And what I'm proudest of with Drone Racing League, everyone thought we had you know, two heads when we started doing it, is by going early, uh, we gave that little push. Like I remember in the early days, the founder, Nick, was trying to get um, stadiums and other great institutions to convince them to borrow their property to do a drone race, you know, Statue of Liberty and all these places. And everyone said, you know, are you kidding? But by giving them, um, you know, Hard Rock, we were able to give them that imprimatur, that endorsement, that got them the rest of the way there. So I think big picture, we tend to get in early or get in when things are still complicated. And that endorsement helps bring that dream to life. We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. All right. I want to tell you more about a great company that we've been working with. If you listen to this show, you know, we've been working with them for a few months now. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. So other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees on stock trades or anything else. You get to keep all of your profits, Griggs. That's a nice feature here with Robinhood. The two things I love about it is, yes, commission-free, big time, huge, saves you a lot of money, and the ease of using it. It's so easy on the app. You can just go on there, click through, look what you want to get, and then buy it right there. It's great. So President Bush 
died recently. And I get an email and a notification from Robinhood saying the stock markets are closed. This is the kind of information that they send, whether it's that kind of stuff or here's information on companies that you're invested in. I don't even have to ask for it. It just arrives in my email box or I get it via text notification. It's great. I love all the information around the stocks and the companies that are on there. So it's not just like placing a trade. You're getting great intel all with four taps or so on your phone via the Robinhood app. It's really convenient and easy to use as well. Yeah, just like you said, they're constantly feeding you info, uh, stuff that you either want or don't want, but you're always in the know ahead of big things happening or as things are happening, and then you have the choice to buy, sell, trade, whatever you want to do. It's great. The other thing is there's a lot of people out there that are intimidated by the stock market. This is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time and to really gain true confidence. So Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. I'm telling you, this is a great app for the newcomers, for people who don't like paying $10 for every trade that you make, and for people who want information on the companies they're invested in, Robinhood is the way to go. Again, sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. Now back to our conversation. Matt, approximately how many pitches do you and RSC Ventures receive per week? Uh, it's probably, I'd guess, about 30 to 50 a week. And I would imagine of, that's but Shark Tank. That number is increasing, you know, by the day. Now you're doing this interview; it'll it'll increase even more. <laughs> we, get, we get a lot. We have an infrastructure who helps, you know, sift through and try to find the gold. Yeah, that was I was going to ask that. Like, how do you get from that thirty to fifty down to like the three to five that are really worth your your uh, examination? Well, I always ask myself, what's the highest and best use of my my time? And that the answer to that question almost changes daily. And I advise everyone to do the same thing. You know, life is not static, obviously. And so what makes sense for you to spend your time and energy on changes if you're growing and if you have a growth mindset. So what would resonate three years ago does not resonate now. I'm not looking to create businesses from scratch necessarily. I want to see early traction, but also I want it to be big enough to be worth the time because a lot of people will say, I'm going to be a strategic partner. I'll help you. If you, um, if it's not big enough and you don't own enough, reality is you're going to get distracted. So I try to be disciplined and my team tries to be disciplined with making sure an idea has the potential to be really big. And that, as a result, eliminates 99% of everything we see. And the thing that we try to do is give people a quick no. Nothing worse than giving um, false hope. Right. Meeting, send your deck, and then just, you know, cut bait, right? Tell people the truth and then move on. So 99% of the decks we get or the pitches we get are easy to say no to. Yeah. So you are now a guest on Shark Tank Season 10 on ABC. How did that opportunity come about? Because obviously that's raised your profile a lot. So many people watch that show. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the show. Uh, my son and I would connect on it, and he'd always ask me. i tell him about a deal that we're working on. He's 11, by the way. <laughs> I'll say, did, did you do a royalty deal? I'm like, if life does not work that way, or maybe I'm just not good enough, but nobody does royalty deals. So. That's Mr. Wonderful's, you know, uh, uh, domain. But um, I'm a big fan, and I feel like it's what Stephen and I do all day long. We have an entrepreneur who has a great idea. They're facing some type of obstacle, or they're at an inflection point where they need 
something to get the rest of the way there. Sure, money, but more importantly, probably something strategic. In the case of all these restaurants and fast casual investments, they need real estate advice, right? And they need, they need expertise on how to scale. Uh, and that's what Shark Tank does earlier on in the, you know, the, lifestyle, the life cycle of a company, but it's the same general thought. Here you have people who are, in most cases, employees. Some of them are staying at home for one reason or another, and they have this great idea that's been burrowing a hole in their brain at 2 in the morning. They can't sleep. They're annoying all their friends or their spouse with their, with their idea and their passion, and they need a mentor and some money to go the distance. I love that. It's like what I do all day long. It's what I'm obsessed about, you know, growth and value creation. So that's what the show does. And I started talking to them. Um, they like my unique background coming from nothing, you know, dropping out of high school when I was 16 and, and whatnot. So um, it was just was a fit. And they gave me a shot. No, that's great. I think you've more than held your own on the episodes that I've seen you oh, on you. <laughs> this year. I think you add a really uh, great element to the show. It's interesting because Alex Rodriguez, Charles Barkley, Mark Cuban has been on the show for a while. What is it about former athletes and sports executives that make you guys so good at investing and, and building businesses? What do you see that I guess the people who aren't in that space don't see? Well, let's do athletes. I think athletes is, is even more interesting. I'm not sure about sports executives per se. I think athletes. I think athletes live. Um, they're used to being very disciplined. Uh, they're 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 able to operate within boundaries and structures and perform uh, to the to excellence, right? So they they understand that ever, uh, truly winning in life is about a process and it's about commitment. Um, they're uh, used to working within a team environment. So without being in a team environment, you can't succeed at anything. And I think they intuitively know what good leadership and bad leadership looks like. They've been holding their they've been holding their tongue while they were a player all that time, and they uh, and they they you know they weren't able to speak forthrightly maybe depending on which coach they had to be all in. But they know what real great leadership looks like. So I think there's, athletes have a lot of great qualities. So I'm always looking for an athlete to get involved with with anything I'm doing because I know they have that special sauce. Not every one of them, but. There's the Curtis Martins of the world, and there's the A-Rods of the world. They're out there, and if you can tap into one, um, they, they can bring tremendous value. Do you guys interact before or after the tapings of the show? Is it literally you're just interacting when you're recording the show? Because it seems like there's such a, a good camaraderie, and especially if you go in on a deal with one of the other sharks. I've always wondered, like... You know, is that just completely spontaneous or do you build a rapport with your fellow sharks that make you want to go in on a deal with certain sharks? All right, well, let me pull back the curtain a bit because I didn't know either. Uh, nobody tells you anything about who's going to walk through that door. That was number one. Really? Two, yeah, you don't know. You have no idea. Um, I thought there'd be a little more onboarding. Like prior to the time that the cameras were on, everyone was really nice. I took the approach of not pretending that I was comfortable in this environment. I don't go on TV, never done it before, even though this is what I do in my day job. It's another. It's totally different. So I asked for advice, and everyone was very generous with advice. But as soon as the camera went on, it was just nobody cared. Nobody was trying to get me into the conversation. I remember leaning over thinking, like, how am I supposed to be able to contribute in this environment? And I was a wallflower for a couple of minutes, and at one point Mark Cuban leaves over, looks at me, goes, hey, Matt, did you come here to do anything, or are you just going to sit there? And I was like, oh, okay. I guess I guess it's game on. So, um, so that was interesting. Also, it's like I feel like I crashed a family dinner. You know, in between sets, they're 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 really collegial, and they've been together. They've been with each other for years. They clearly love each other and hate each other too. It's like one big dysfunctional Thanksgiving. I don't know. <laughs> um, but so they're 
they're they're in it. I mean, they're very intimate, intimately connected, and overall, they've been really kind to me. Um, I've become very close to Lori Grinier in particular. Uh, last night, I had dinner with with Damon uh, and Kevin O'Leary, and I went and had dinner. They're just very generous, very kind, very thoughtful, and, and at the same time, very sharky. <laughs> so, uh, highly competitive. And I did it. I ended up doing a deal with Lori. We didn't talk about it before at all. It only happened uh, on set. Uh, but it's been an incredible, incredible experience. So you say no onboarding. When you sit down to do the taping, they haven't given you a list of these are the companies that are coming in to pitch you today. Zero. I mean, not at all. Uh, you, you're you there. And because they want it to be authentic, which made me happy. It would be like a five-year-old finding out there's no Santa Claus. Like, it's too early if I was to find out that Shark Tank wasn't real. Shark Tank is everything you see on TV, only a longer version and more complicated. And so you get no insight as to what's about to walk through that door. What's also interesting, I'm sure those who are fans of the show understand this. I think I'm pretty good at math. I can calculate valuation in my head and percentage ownership. When the lights are on you, that actually got a little complicated. <laughs> like, wait, what are we pitching on? How much am I trying to own? Wait, what, what did Kevin O'Leary just propose? What's this royalty structure that I can't you know, compute? So um, authenticity was my big takeaway, that this uh, I guess it's in the reality show category, but it truly is reality, only it's longer than what you see on TV. It's it's condensed, but uh, it's just as competitive, just as heated, and, and you have no idea as a shark what's going to happen. All right, my audience will kill me if I don't a- ask this question. If you can't answer it, just say, and, and that's totally fine. But people have asked me for years on Shark Tank, are they investing their own money, or is there like a fund, a trust that is put together, and you're investing out of that trust? Can you... No. Well, that's what makes it great. It's your own money. Uh, And that's what keeps it authentic. I don't care who you are and how wealthy you are. Nobody wants to lose their own money. Right. And that's what makes the show authentic, because it's not a charity. It's not called Philanthropy Tank. Right or field good tank. It's called Shark Tank. So the um, you got to keep it real, and the fact that it's your own money at stake uh, is what keeps it real um, because nobody wants to lose it. I don't care how wealthy you are. Well, I'll tell you what that changes. And, and, and more importantly, and it's not just that you don't want to lose it. It's it equally as important at the, as the as the money is the time involved. Like when you decide to back a business, especially an early stage business, you're enlisting in a mission. Right with a founder whose entire life is about this business, who's going to want to call you and make sure that this is the most important thing in the world because it is to them. So you're taking on a heavy obligation more than just an investment. And that's the part that people don't always realize. Like It's not just about making money. It's a reciprocal obligation now to help when help is needed. And so that, that makes um, the sharks very cautious and very thoughtful to make sure that you, you, know, you don't back the wrong thing, not just financially, but, but time commitment. So I read an interview with you, and you said that you tend to invest in founder-driven companies. The founder and the person's energy is really important to you. So what you just said makes a lot of sense because you're not just writing a check and saying, all right, go out and make me look good with my investment. You are spending time with that founder. Right. That's a great point. I mean, my life might be easier if you were just investing in stocks, but you're not. So if you're going to invest in companies that aren't public and aren't massive, I think companies that are driven by, you know, a missionary, by somebody who's evangelical about what they're trying to pull off, do better. Now that you also have to deal with all the human problems that come along with it, right? People are people, and they tend to create people problems. So you need to be adept, and you need to be willing to deal with that. Uh, You know, not how to deal with two co-founders who, you know, the relationship has fallen apart because one's working harder than the other. 
by the way, common fact pattern. Uh, how do you deal with someone who is unwilling to terminate an employee when it's time to it's time to move on? Like the, the, all the problems that every one of us deals with uh, in our own day happen with founders. But I find companies that are antiseptic, that have no soul and uh, you know no passion in their DNA, can are limited. They might be successful to a certain point, but they can't go all the way. So I, I always look for. And Steve and I always look for founder-driven companies where there's somebody special at the top who's trying to do something special. David Chang uh, at Bomofuku, Christina Tosi at Milk Bar. If you look across our investments, Gary Vaynerchuk, there's always this magical, special person who's trying to do something great, and they need a little help to get the rest of the way there. So a lot of people who listen to this show are entrepreneurs. They watch Shark Tank. Uh, they're in the sports space. You just mentioned one important ingredient that you look for is founder-driven companies. Give me two other ingredients. If I'm saying, what are the three ingredients for companies that you look for when you're investing? What are the two other ingredients? Well, I look for, um, like I said before, a company that could be that could be big, that could scale, right? That could, that could definitely um, be large enough to be worth the effort. And I want to make sure that the idea is not. Uh, a feature of an ultimately bigger business. And I think this happens in sports a lot and sometimes more than in other places. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And especially in the technology space, I get pitched a lot in sports with an idea that's a nice feature, but uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be subsumed by a larger business. And I think it's important to be really disciplined that the idea that you've come up with is not only worth your time, but worth other people's time, and that it's not just a a tech feature. And, and like I said, I get a lot of pitches in this space in particular that's saying that's nice and that's novel, but it's not a business. We've got a few minutes left. There's always big things coming. You are a visionary. What's on your radar as the next big thing to invest in? Uh, in sports space in particular? Or generally? I, I would say in general, but you know, this is sports business radio, so maybe hit on, on sports a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, in sports in particular, Sports gambling is definitely for real. Mm-hmm. It's the obvious. I think the uh, I think the space is trying to sort itself out. But unlike in esports, where it's a little bit more complicated to feel like who is the winner and what's going to be the winner, uh, I think sports gambling is only going to build. There's a lot of um, a lot of very solid predictions upon which states are going to authorize over the next four to five years. The leagues are trying to figure out. Teams are trying to figure out. Venues are trying to figure out. So. I would say, from an investment standpoint, definitely sports sports gambling. And big picture, um, artificial intelligence has become a, a buzzword, but it's a real thing. And AI simply makes otherwise human processes automated and makes the world more efficient. Uh, that is anything in AI I tend to take a look at. Also hard without expertise to figure out which uh, you know what's real and what's not, but AI is real. Forget about the buzzwords. Uh, and then lastly, I'm very interested in cybersecurity. I think cybersecurity, cybercrime has no end in sight. If you take a step back and think about it, it's pretty much privatized law enforcement, right? The government's not protecting you. You have to protect yourself. We all know we need to do something. We're just not sure what or what to acquire. So uh, I'm very interested. We have our own cybersecurity company that we're spending a lot of time on. Um, But I think uh, there's no no end to the opportunity in that space. Oh, that's great, great. There you go. That was free. I don't know. No kidding. All of our listeners are going to go out and invest and and make lots of money now from from you. Thank you for that. Well, sports start with sports gambling. That's probably the easiest thing to uh, to access. 
Well, I'll tell you, Matt, I was just in Las Vegas this last weekend, and I was at the MGM Sports Properties. I'm friendly with them. And just walking around Las Vegas, I'm not there very often, it is mind-boggling to me the people, how many people gamble. And just you start thinking about this is just a microcosm. This is just in Las Vegas. This isn't even globally and in the United States. And the market that's out there for sports gambling, and you see like MGM has done deals with the NBA, the NHL, and last week Major League Baseball. You're right. This is coming. It's going to be big. I think people are just trying to wrap their minds around the specifics of it. Well, and I think in my in a couple of the mistakes that I've made uh, over the years of investing is when I see a trend and think I'm late when in fact I was early, right? And and that's dangerous. So what I mean by that is sports gambling becoming a big opportunity is now conventional wisdom. Everyone sort of knows it. It doesn't mean that we're late. We're actually very early in sorting out the space. The same can be said in other areas, you know, marijuana and uh, CBD and so forth. Um, it's, it's still very early in figuring all those things out. I'm not involved in any of those investments in that area. But just generally, if you see a trend, don't think that you know that, that you've lost the opportunity just because it's being written about. You're, if you're reading and you're doing research and you're reading Wired Magazine, you're reading Inc., you're reading Fast Company, you're searching the Internet, and you're coming across a trend, just because it's starting to be written about more it doesn't mean the opportunities are gone. They're just getting more traction enough to be on people's radar. So when I look back and see things that I missed, Investing in Snapchat at $500 million valuation. Um, usually I just abandon the thought too early. So that's my overall cerebral piece of advice for people who are interested in this investing. Trust your instincts and don't abandon your own insights because you think other people are starting to adopt them. No, so many nuggets of wisdom in this interview. Uh, before I let you go, the next five years, what does it look like for you? It looks like you're enjoying Shark Tank, so maybe that's something you want to stick with. But what else do you want to do over the next five years besides hit on good investments? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, I I think, and this is you know, complicated, but for me, I get excited by the ability to use my platform to, one, um, tell my story, because I think there's way too much shame in this world where people try to airbrush all the messy parts. So I want to tell the messy parts because they help shape who I am. And I think it's it's great for someone who has reached whatever pinnacle of success, however you define it, to go back in time and say, well, this is how I started, and this is what I went through. I was growing up um, dirt poor. I did drop out of high school when I was 16 because I was desperate and I had no choice. I went to college at night. And this was the mess. So I want to share my story more because I also then want to use that platform to figure out how can I ameliorate suffering with the money I've accumulated or the influence I've accumulated because out of anything I can do in a day, the ability to reach down and lift somebody up and ameliorate suffering has way more of an impact than the next business I can create. So that's my grandiose view of the world. I've obviously been shaped by what I've gone through, but I'm excited by looking back, looking five years from now and say, how much influence and resources will I have to be able to do that more often and with more of my time? You know, at the moment, I'm, I'm in the trenches building these companies and trying to create the value. But at some point, I hope that more and more of my time spent um, doing that. And that's why the Shark Tank platform is great. It's not very comfortable to me to be out there and to be on TV and all this effort. But I, if I can have more of a voice and more people pay attention, then I can I can make more of an impact. Matt Higgins, a shark on ABC's hit TV show Shark Tank. He's the CEO and co-founder of RSE Ventures, the vice chair of the NFL's Miami Dolphins. Follow him on Twitter at M Higgins. Matt, it was so great to meet you in person in Miami. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'll be keeping tabs on you, and uh, let's stay in touch. 
All right, thanks so much for having me. Take care, everybody. Have a great day. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. You're the man, Bart. My guest is tennis icon Chris Albert. He was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo, a podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.